0: And welcome today to another podcast episode of Established in the Faith. This is Pastor James Pierce, and what a privilege it is to have all of you out there tuning in with us today. We're going to continue with our study in the book of Revelation. I know it's going to be a blessing to you, and if it is, feel free to like it and share it with others. If you'll go over to establishedinthefaith.com, you'll find more information on how you can subscribe to this podcast. You can now get us on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, TuneIn Radio, Blueberry And others as well. Feel free to contact us there on the website with questions and comments that you may have pertaining to the program today. Well, we're going to go on into our study now, picking it up in Revelation chapter 17 and verse 8, and we hope and pray it'll be a blessing to you. chapters to teach and understand in the Bible, and that is the 17th chapter of the book of Revelation. And uh, we're just going to start in verse 1 again tonight, Revelation chapter 17, verse 1. We looked at some of these verses last week, we're just going to touch on them briefly. Revelation 17, verse 1. And there came one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials, and talked with me, saying unto me, Come hither, and I will show unto thee the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters. Now, the great whore that is spoken of here in this verse is how God sees every false religion that's in this world. And that is the great whore that is being talked about here in this chapter. Verse 2. With whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication. Now this tells us that when anyone places their faith in a false religion, God considers it the same as the sin of, of fornication. Someone has said that sin is sin in the eyes of God. It makes no difference whether it's a lie or murder. Now obviously in our eyes, the lie is very minute compared to the sin of murder. But in the eyes of God, sin is sin. And a lot of people don't understand that. And maybe perhaps you don't understand that. But the reason it's the same in the sight of God is because it cost the life of His Son, Jesus Christ, to pay for the sin of lying, just like it did the sin of murder. If the only sin in the world that was ever committed was the sin of a lie, Jesus would have still had to come in this world and suffer and die on the cross for that one sin. So Jesus died for all the sins of the world. The cost is the same when you get right down to it. And right here in verse 2, with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication. Like I said, God considers it uh, the same. When a person puts their faith in a false religion, God considers it the same as the sin of fornication. And whenever a leadership of a nation goes off after a certain religion, usually that nation becomes dominated by that religion. And you can look at the religion of Islam and those countries over there the way things are going. Uh, latter part of verse 2 says, "And the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. The angel used the terms drunk and fornication to express the addictive power of religion. Someone has said the doing of religion is like a strong wine. It desensitizes a person. Because the doing of religion feels good. Most of the time, people get so caught up in the doing of their religion. They feel like they have done their God thing for that week, or they've done their good deed for that week. And they can go off and do whatever. And that's simply not the case. And uh, people that are religious, you can't tell them nothing. It's like a drunk man. You can't tell a drunk man anything. You go up to a drunk man try to take his keys and tell him he's not able to drive. He'll fight you. And religious people will fight you. And that's why it's so hard to get some church folks saved. They've been in church all their life, but they're really not saved. They feel like they are because they go to church every Sunday. They're here for Sunday school. Maybe they even sing in the choir. And maybe they believe in Christ as a historical fact, but they're not trusting in Christ to change them. And that's what all of us have to realize. We all need some changing. Amen? Even, even Myself, as your pastor, there are things in my life that the Lord needs to change. And as I seek the Lord, I say, Lord, help me. Lord, help me to draw closer to you. Help me, Lord, to do what you would have me to do. Help me to lead you, help me to be an influence on you to draw close to the Lord as well. But all of us need some changing, and the Holy Spirit can do that. But like I said, it's hard for religious people to realize that they're not saved because they're trusting in something else. At any rate, verse 3. So he carried me away in the Spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-colored beast full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. Now, this beast with seven heads represents all the empires that have persecuted Israel. The woman sitting upon the back of this beast tells us that all of these empires were controlled in some way by a religion. Let's look at verse 4. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color, decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication. This speaks of the wealth of religion, all of which looks good to man, but God sees it as abominations and filthiness. Verse 5 Upon her forehead was the name written Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. Every false religion in this world can be traced back to Babylon. There are certain traits in every religion. When you trace it back, it has its origin with the first false religion that was organized there in Babel. But it goes back to the title of Babel. All right, verse 6. I saw the woman drunken with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I wondered with great admiration. The first murder in human history was when Cain killed his brother Abel. And guess what? It was all over religion. Think about it. Satan's been using religion ever since to murder God's people. Verse 7, And the angel said unto me, Wherefore didst thou marvel? I will tell thee the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carrieth her, which has the seven heads and ten horns. John is so amazed by what he is seeing here in the spirit world. Now this angel is going to explain it. Let's pick it up in verse 8 tonight. The beast that thou sawest was and is not and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit and go into perdition. And they that dwell on the earth shall wonder whose names were not written in the book of life on the foundation of the world. When they behold the beast that was and is not and yet is. Let's look at the first little phrase there, the beast that thou sawest. That has to do with the beast of verse 3, which represents all the kingdoms that have ever come against Israel. Each of these kingdoms were not only ruled by religion, but each one of these kingdoms were ruled by a fallen angel as well. We discussed that here some weeks ago in the book of Daniel when Daniel was praying to the Lord about a particular thing. And the angel Gabriel came to him and said, The first day that you set your face to seek God, I was on the way, but the, a fallen angel held him up And when he left, he said, I have to go and fight this fallen angel. But at any rate, the beast that thou sawest was. This refers to an empire of the past, as well as the fallen angel that was behind it. The beast that thou sawest was and is not. In other words, it was not in power at the time John was writing this. The beast that thou sawest was and is not and shall ascend. A fallen angel that was behind one of the empires of the past is coming back in the future to support the kingdom of the Antichrist. That's what that is talking about there. And he's going to ascend out of the bottomless pit. That is the place where this fallen angel was confined. When this particular empire was conquered, in whatever the case, this fallen angel that was behind that particular empire or kingdom, he was confined to the bottomless pit. Now, the question is, who or what is this talking about? The kingdom that is coming in the future, of course, is going to be the kingdom of the Antichrist. And John described it as a beast. If you will, turn back to the 13th chapter of Revelation. Revelation 13. Revelation 13, verse 2. That's where we're going to pick it up at there. And the beast which I saw was likened to a leopard and his feet were as the feet of a bear, and his mouth as the mouth of a lion. That was the beast that John saw in the 13th chapter of Revelation. This coincides with what Daniel saw in chapter 7 of his book. Let's flip over there. Daniel chapter 7. use these same animals to symbolize empires that would come in the future from Daniel's day right on up into our day and on into the future Daniel chapter 7 pick it up in verse 3 Daniel 7 verse 3 and four great beasts came up from the sea, diverse one from another. The first was like a lion, and had eagle's wings. I beheld to the wings thereof were plucked, and it was lifted up from the earth, and made to stand upon the feet as a man, and a man's heart was given unto it. That represented the Babylonian empire. Okay? Verse 5. And behold, another beast, a second like a bear. It raised itself up on one side, and it had three ribs in its mouth between the teeth of it. And they thus said unto it, Arise, and devour much flesh. That is representing the Medo-Persian empire. And notice that the beast John saw in the 13th chapter of Revelation Had the body of a leopard and had the uh, feet of a bear and the mouth of a lion. Here we have the lion representing the Babylonian Empire. We also have the bear here that Daniel saw representing the Medo Persian Empire. Now look at verse 6. Daniel 7, verse 6. After this I beheld, and lo, another like a leopard which had upon the back of it four wings of a fowl. The beast had also four heads, and dominion was given to it. That is the Grecian empire. Daniel said that this beast had the appearance or was likened unto a leopard. And the beast that John saw The body of it, the main body of it, had the appearance of a leopard. That was the Grecian Empire headed up by Alexander the Great. No human being in history conquered the world with such lightning speed as did Alexander the Great. Even today, In colleges around the world, people are studying his war tactics and whatever the case. And even then, they do not understand how Alexander the Great was able to do what he did. He almost conquered the world of his day in a very short period of time. And people don't understand how he was able to do it. He was able to do it because there was a powerful fallen angel that was aiding and abetting him, helping him to do what he did. When Alexander the Great passed away, the angel that was aiding and abetting him was cast into the bottomless pit, and he will be released in the near future to aid and abet the Antichrist. Somewhere around the midpoint of the tribulation period is when this fallen angel will be released and he will empower the Antichrist at that time. And the Antichrist will endeavor to take over the whole world and he would he would do it if Jesus didn't come back at the battle of Armageddon and put a stop to all of that. But that is what is being referred to here. Now, There in the book of Daniel. 7 verse 6. The beast also had four heads. When Alexander died. The four generals that were under him. His kingdom was divided up into four parts. And his four generals took over. uh, His kingdom. And that's what is being referred to there. All right go back to Revelation 17 in verse 8 when the Antichrist is killed at the battle of Armageddon this fallen angel will then be cons- uh, consigned to the lake of fire as it says there in Revelation 17 verse 8 he shall go into perdition so this fallen angel helped Alexander the Great in the past when Alexander passed away this fallen angel was confined to the bottomless pit he'll be released in the not too distant future after the rapture of the church when the antichrist comes on the scene he'll aid the bed and help the antichrist at the battle of Armageddon when the antichrist is killed then this fallen angel will then be Sent to the lake of fire, and that's where he'll be from then on out. All right, let's uh, look at another little part there. It says in verse 8, Revelation 17, verse 8, And they that dwell on the earth shall wonder, whose name were not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world, when they behold the beast that was, and is not, and yet is. People will be in awe of the Antichrist. They think they're looking at the greatest thing in the world, but actually they're looking at a beast that is empowered by the forces of hell, unlike any human being in history. Uh, what I want to look at briefly here in this verse is the book of life. We want to change subjects here just a little bit. Some have tried to take this verse and use it to buttress their doctrine of predestination. Saying that there's some people that are born in this world. They're going to be saved irregardless of what happens. Their names were written in the book of life from the foundation of the world. They're going to be saved. If their names were not written in the book of life in the very beginning, no matter what they do, they will not be saved. That is the teaching of predestination. But what I want to share with you tonight, the book of life has been in existence since the foundation of the world. The names are written in that book when a person gets saved. Jesus came in the world and died that whosoever believeth in Him. God just didn't pick and choose who He wanted. If that was the case, why did He tell the church to go into all the world and preach the gospel? I mean, that doesn't make any sense. It is our job to preach the gospel. And whosoever will and wants to receive it and accept Christ as their Savior, the moment they accept Christ as their Savior, their name is then written, In that book of life. And as long as they maintain their faith in Christ. And what he did at the cross. And want to be saved. They don't have to worry about their names being blotted out. Or taken out of that book. Can somebody's name be taken out of the book of life? Yes. Their name most definitely can be taken out of the book. Well you say Well, where do you get that from? Go to the 22nd chapter of the book of Revelation and I'll show you. You've got to see that for yourself. There's some that teach once you're saved, you're always saved and, you know, you don't have to worry about losing your salvation. You know, God's got it. And this and that, whatever the case. But we don't believe and teach that. We believe that as long as a person comes to the Lord and keeps their faith, anchored in the Lord and wants to be saved, the Lord will save them. But we know that people can backslide and lose their way. And there's a dropping off point out here somewhere. We don't know where that point is. And if they're in a backslidden state when they draw their last, then their salvation is questionable. I'll have to leave that up to the Lord to decide that. But a person's name can be removed from the book of life. Revelation 22 if you will, look down at verse 19. If any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. So there you have it. A person's name can be taken out of the book of life. Go back to Revelation 17. Verse 9. And here is the mind which has wisdom. In verse 8. We see the unsaved with no understanding. They're wondering after a beast. And here in verse 9 we have those who are saved. Who can understand. These things, if they will read the Word of God, which alone can explain these types of things. And here is the mind which has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sitteth. Now, like we said earlier, the seven heads of that beast represent the empires that have persecuted Israel. Here, they're also called mountains because of all the trials and troubles that they put Israel uh, through. These trials and troubles were caused by false religions. That's why we see this woman, this great whore, riding upon the back of this beast and sitting upon these mountains. Verse 10. And there are seven Kings the word king is the terminology that was used in John's day to describe the leadership of nations or empires. The seven kings referred to here are the seven empires which have persecuted Israel. There are seven kings five are fallen. That means that at the the time that John was writing this, five of those empires had fallen. He goes on to say, and one is. That's the Roman Empire. At the time John was writing this, the Roman Empire was in power at that time. And the other is not yet come. And when he cometh, he must continue a short space. Now, let me take a few minutes here and share some things with you. The other that is yet to come, it is not in power at this moment, but it is still coming as of right now. It is ten nations within the old Roman Empire territory that will come together and persecute Israel. They could come together at any time. They could come together after the rapture of the church. We don't know. I remember back telling you some few weeks ago in 1989 when the Berlin Wall came down. It shocked the world at that time. Three of the countries that were in control were under the control of the Russian regime. They were freed when communism fell back in 1989. Those countries are now free to join up and make this alliance with these ten nations, which could be at any time. Now, some have tried to say, well, that's NATO, and it's this and that, and we don't know." I don't think that's what it is, but at any rate, these nations are going to come together and they're going to exist for a short space. And when the Antichrist comes on the scene, he's going to make a seven-year peace pact with Israel. They're going to think he's the Messiah. The Antichrist is going to take over three, of these nations. The other seven will give in and give their allegiance, their power, their wealth to the Antichrist and aid and abet him at that time. And when the Antichrist takes over those ten nations, that will form the eighth. And if you'll take a look at it there in verse 11. He is the beast that was and is not. Even he is the eighth and is of the seven and goeth into perdition. Have I explained that well enough? At any moment, ten nations could come together. They're going to persecute Israel, cause Israel some trouble for a short period of time. And when the Antichrist comes on the scene, He's going to conquer these nations and take over. And when he does, that'll be the eighth. Uh, it's also known as the revised Grecian Empire. But at any rate, it is of the seven and goeth into perdition. Verse 12. And the ten horns which thou sawest are ten kings, which have received no kingdom as of yet, but receive power as kings one hour with the beast. The ten horns represents those ten nations I was just telling you about that will arise here in the not too distant future. In John's day, they had not come to power, but they will in the near future. They will receive power with the Antichrist for a short period of time. And verse 13 says, These have one mind and shall give their power and strength unto the beast. Like I said, these ten nations will give all of their resources, their military might, strength, ability, and just join in with the Antichrist. It is at that time when the Antichrist has taken over these ten nations during the first half of the tribulation period. It is at that time, once he has all of this military might of these ten nations, that's when he's going to break the seven-year peace pact with Israel. He'll go in and he will defeat Israel for the first time since they became a nation in 1948.